Hey friends, it's great to be back with you today for another episode of the In Focus podcast, taking a fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas, how they bring our world into focus and empower us to live a new, more eternal kind of life within it. I'm your host, Justin Laughlin, husband, dad, pastor, professor, and most importantly, follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. So uh, after a month and a half or so of a very unusual amount of traveling, it is great to be back home with Jody and the boys, sleeping through the night in my own bed with my own lovely pillow and dialing things up again in anticipation and pursuit of a great awakening of God's people along the front range. Uh, Those of you who know me uh, better than others may know that I'm often working my way through a book or two in addition to my ongoing reading through the Bible. And recently, I've been reading a book entitled The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, and it has repeatedly steered my thoughts back to the Sermon on the Mount as a pillar of church life. And long story short, uh, as, this, as the church was taking shape over the first three centuries, particularly following uh, the apostles, the first apostles, uh, they didn't have a lot of resources available to them beyond the Holy Spirit. But what stood out is that they took being the church very seriously. They were highly committed to each other, and in many places that we have records of, at least, being part of the church was synonymous with an expectation and commitment to live life according to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5-7. through Uh, And in a day and age where being the church has largely become the work of highly trained professionals in Christian entertainment, and being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean much beyond at least some marginal affection toward Jesus and a desire to go to heaven upon death while really thinking and living every day just like the world around you. This whole Sermon on the Mount standard is extremely intriguing to me. Uh, So having said that, I'm excited to kick off a new series today on Matthew 5-7, through commonly known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and each podcast will be undertaken with the end of that sermon in mind, which comes to us in chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, and it reads accordingly. And this is uh, Jesus' final words in this sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So, according to Jesus, at least, hearing alone does not matter. It's only the hearing and the doing that matters. So, How's that for a giant can of worms Jesus decides to open up 
right in the middle of our smoke-filled, light-controlled, consumer-driven, hope-you-had-a-good-experience paradigm of church. If you're not uh, leaving the worship service this weekend uh, to actually go out and live and obey, then you should drop your pastor and your worship leader a note for shaping you into a very cool little sandcastle that Jesus said will wash away as soon as life throws any rain or storms your way. And FYI, 2020 has been an awfully stormy year with no change on the horizon, at least not at this point. So instead, let's work our way through this pivotal teaching of Jesus and consider what we might do and how we might live Jesus' teaching so that we might be founded and resilient in the midst of whatever storms and rain and wind the world might throw our way. So, a couple initial thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount, a couple bits of context, a brief word to set the stage as we launch out into doing the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, first, Jesus has just recently been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has gone through a period of isolation in the wilderness, fasting, and temptation um, brought on by the devil. He has picked up ministry where John the Baptist left off, calling people to repentance in light of the fact that God's kingdom is now at hand. And just before this sermon, Jesus has called the first four disciples, and then we'll pick up the last few verses of chapter four to set the stage most immediately for Jesus' sermon on the mount beginning in chapter five. So Matthew chapter four, verses uh, 23 through five, two, in one moment, here we go. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them. And then uh, we're going to launch into the sermon from there. So, uh, So here's how we have arrived where we are at in Matthew chapter 5. The long-anticipated Messiah, or the Christ, is on the scene. He's faithfully submitted to the Father's design for his earthly life and ministry. He's, Jesus has waited. He's grown. He's listened and obeyed. He's remained uh, discreetly and largely unnoticed for about 30 years. And now he's begun stepping into the ministry that will soon turn the world right side up. He's proclaiming and announcing the arrival of God's kingdom and calling people to live and to think differently in response to what is now taking place. And now Jesus stills the crowd 
and lays out a remarkable depiction of what that new thinking, that new perspective, that new kind of life and worldview is, um, and what it's going to look like for those um, in Jesus's time, including us, for whom the world is now turning right side up. So, uh, the first, <clears throat> excuse me, section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, kicks off in verse three and runs through verse eleven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, there it is, the opening uh, shot into the Sermon on the Mount, and remember the whole point of this and where Jesus is headed in all of this is not just hearing, but doing. So let's hang on to that as we first step back, uh, because we do need to hear what Jesus is saying in order to then do in kind and to respond appropriately, to repent appropriately, and to obey what Jesus is actually teaching us to do. So, Uh, To hear well, uh, we should ask ourselves, who are all these blessed people? Because to be honest, they don't look super blessed. If you think about uh, the description of them, and excuse me, I of course flipped my Bible shut when I uh, finished reading it, but here we are back to where we should be. So, we have the poor in spirit, We have the mourning, we have the meek, we have people uh, not receiving any justice, just hungering and thirsting for it. Uh, We have the merciful, we have the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted, and those spoken against um, unjustly. So, not instinctively, at least in this world, the group and the kinds of people that you would look at and say, oh, you must be blessed. So, uh, also, so we have that on the table. Jesus also does not say it's because of these things you're blessed. Jesus doesn't say, because you're mourning, you are blessed. And that's worth pointing out. So, just because you have a good day, that doesn't mean you're cursed or anything. What Jesus does seem to be saying is more like, when you find yourself mourning, when you find yourself in these kinds of spots, know that you are blessed. The kingdom of God is at hand uh, for all of us still today, but we are still pressing forward and working things out in a fallen world until the king returns. So, as we make our way and as we suffer the effects of worldwide rebellion, worldwide chaos, worldwide darkness, uh, know that 
Just because we experience the effects of the fallen world does not mean that we're cursed by God or forgotten or overlooked or anything like that. So, uh, that we, we need to hear that in order to make our way forward well. Uh, we need to hear that even here and now, we are blessed. And as you notice some of what comes from this, what we're facing is not the final word on things. Uh, because there's something in store for God's people. So, uh, we want to keep all this stuff in mind. Keep in mind as we're hearing this that these attributes could all have been said of Jesus himself. Think of Jesus's example. Think of the price that he paid to live the life that he lived. Think of the goodness of his life uh, in spite of the fact that he he faced a great deal of opposition, and you would certainly not say that he was living a life of luxury as we often pursue it and as we are maybe inclined to interpret as a life of blessing. Uh, think of the eternal implications of Jesus's life, as different as it was, and um So, as we choose to be like Jesus, again, understanding these attributes could all have been said of him, as we choose to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus, truly we are a blessed people despite uh, some of the surface uh, look of things. So, uh, there's some of the hearing stuff as Jesus opens his most famous sermon, some ideas to be holding in our mind. Um, keep in mind that Jesus never talks in magic formulas. So, uh, don't hear some sort of coded formula in these Beatitudes. Instead, just keep in mind, Jesus is painting a picture of a kind of life and a kind of blessedness in this fallen world that defies convention. And as he often did, He was teaching and modeling this new, different way of thinking and living and being. And that's what we want to hear in this opening salvo of the Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, having first heard this, we then, of course, do need to carry our hearing forward a very crucial step into the doing. So, Regarding the doing, how might we repent in light of all this? What are we called to obey in light of all this? How do we respond with a new way of thinking and living and being? And again, because Jesus is not providing a rigid formula, the desire here and what I hope we can do is for us to be equipped and enabled to do each of us according to our unique circumstances and uh, what those circumstances dictate. So, the the actual doing will be up to each of us, but here's how Matthew uh, chapter 5 verses 3 through 11 empowers us for the doing. Uh, Number one, uh, we need to have perspective. So, as we're going about our way, we need to think and we need to act in light of the bigger story. Uh, Often, we will need to be a people speaking blessing 
in the truth of what God is up to, particularly to the broken and the downtrodden, just as Jesus did in this instance. And we can speak blessing, we can speak truth with this perspective. So, uh, reminding the morning that this is not all that there is uh, makes a big difference. It's one thing to be um, pressing through the night and the deep darkness that that can bring on if you've uh, ever spent um, a long night awake. Uh, it is extremely helpful to know that there will come an end of the darkness and the sun will rise. And that's uh, part of what we see happening here, I suppose, in this perspective element. Um, Second, we need to be doing life, um, keeping in mind the call toward Christ-likeness. So all of these things, again, could be said of Jesus. He was humble. Uh, He was, again, doing things entirely different than people expected. So some takeaways for that. Um, for us as we move forward in life in the way of Christ instead of the way of the world. Keep in mind, power and coercion and force are not the way of Jesus. Instead, humility and self-sacrifice are the way of Jesus and um, correspondingly, the way of us as his people, not power, coercion, and force, the description of the kind of life and the kind of person we find in the Beatitudes. Very, very, very different. Uh, Very un-American, incidentally. Um, Second, immediate gratification and ease were also not the way of Jesus. So, when there is a cultural influence and there is some assimilation so that the cultural values of gratification and the cultural values of ease and pleasure uh, creep their way in so that we think, unless I'm feeling ease and pleasure and gratification, God must not be blessing me. We need to chuck that idea out and remember Jesus's teaching here. Um, the people he describes as blessed are much different. Um, So, we can speak the blessing and truth as people following this same way of thinking and living and being that Jesus has modeled for us and that he's talking us through in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, finally, regarding Christ-likeness, our own posture and our own essence, the kind of people that we are, the kind of lives that we're living, the way that we think should be informed by the redemptive power of sacrificial love and by the cross, not political power, not force, not coercion again. And then, um, of course, the corresponding hope and anticipation of resurrection. So, Jesus's way is not the world's way. We cannot get sucked in to being one with the world when God is calling us to be one with Christ. And as we do that, as we embrace the way of the cross that is uh, sometimes uncomfortable, that is sometimes not pleasurable, we do it with perspective knowing that there's a bigger story unfolding, and we do it with perspective, knowing 
that for the people of God, resurrection follows the cross. And as Jesus said multiple, multiple times, for us, if you would be my followers, you have to take up your cross and follow me. We do that understanding that resurrection follows the cross carrying and the cross bearing. It did for Jesus. And as Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, among other places, just as Jesus was resurrected, he went first, we will follow that same uh, path. So, as we think our way through this and live our way through this world, as we encounter others who are experiencing the pain and the suffering in this world, this is how we do it well. We keep our perspective, the perspective that Jesus provides in Matthew 5, 3 through 11, and we do it um, pursuing Christ-likeness. So, everything that Jesus teaches, everything Jesus models, the way Jesus thinks and lives, that's what we are going after as well. So, to hear the Beatitudes and do nothing, once again, is to be a sandcastle with the tide rolling in and a giant storm on the horizon. To do something about it, to take action, to live accordingly, to think accordingly, to be different according to the way of Jesus, is to be built on a solid foundation that can withstand the tide and the storm. So, let's think and live and speak in light of what God is up to in this world. Let's think and live and speak in the cross-shaped way of Jesus, trusting that the resurrection lies before us as we do so. So, there you have it, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and hopefully some parameters uh, which empower us to get moving, to get doing, to get being in the way of Christ, not just hearing and not just, um, not just passing over these words as we read them. Uh, thank you again for tuning in to this episode of the In Focus podcast. I hope it's helped bring your world a little bit better into focus and empowered you to live a more eternal kind of life within it. I hope your heart is genuinely awakened to the story that you're part of and to the greatness and centrality of Jesus Christ, our King. I hope the fire is burning in your bones to live in the way of Jesus. And I pray that uh, by the grace of God, we will all continue to be equipped and empowered through God's word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give everything we've got to live for Jesus and in the way of Jesus. If you're streaming today's episode from a podcast provider like Apple, Google, Spotify, or anybody else, it'd be great if you take a second to give it a good rating or a review, uh, perhaps even become a subscriber. The show is still new, so your response, as I've said before, helps it become a little bit easier for new people to find in the future. If you'd like, you can also share this episode directly with your friends on social media, and I've provided a link in the show notes to do just that. Finally, if you'd like to hear something specific from the Bible or about a particular big Christian idea in the future, please email me using the address that's also included in the show notes. I would welcome any of your feedback that might help me improve things. 
Uh, and I'd love to hear about any ways the show uh, is impacting your own life. Until next time, thanks for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to the In Focus podcast. May your world continue coming into clearer focus and may God lead you into an increasingly eternal kind of life before him.